Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Blog Talk Radio. People's podcast, we back in full effect, and we all feeling it. Before we get into the season of demon, allow me to say you could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with us, and we appreciate your patronage. I am your host, Marcus the Game Tank, and one third of the illustrious Free Man Booth. Before we get into what we get into, how we do what we do, let me bring in my comrades. The other two thirds, the electric three man booth. On my right, I got my man T. Will. I'll ask people. 
be whipped. You just don't let it. You don't let the beat ride. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I just want to let the beat. I want to let the beat. I want to let the beat ride. You know, I want to. You know, like Jay Z said, I want to let it breathe a little bit. Um, I was feeling good uh, with the beat. Uh, but I, yeah, hey man, it's been good, man. I had a chance to spend some time with Phil. You know, we we had a chance to see LeBron live and in color. We'll talk a little bit about that. I just feel real good about what we try to do in RSG, man, and uh, feel uplifted. And uh, this show for me is uh, from our uncle Oscar. We call him the big old. He loves sports. He got excited about us when we were playing. He's a Knicks fan to the, you know, to to the to the tenth power and. Uh, you know, we laid him to rest, and uh, just just feel like your spirit is here, and I'm, we're looking to have a good show tonight. Absolutely, as always, we're gonna kick it live. We're gonna give you nothing but unadulterated funk for the next 90 minutes or so. Uh, on my left, I got my man 100 grand, COT Sports PAC. What's happening, Captain? Hey man, glad to be on the show with you fellas. In the words of Jay Z and Memphis Bleak on that first album, it was all good. Just week ago uh, with my Cleveland Cavs, man. It was all good just a week ago with my Cleveland Cavs. Yeah, we are going to get into that and so much more tonight. Uh, We have a special interview to celebrate our fifth anniversary. We've been doing this for five years. And, you know, lately I've put some people up on the podcast, you know, and they're like, wow, you know, they subscribe. They're like, you guys got 300 plus episodes of your podcast. You know, like, yeah, we've been doing this for a while, man. When you really think about it, we've been putting it down for the people for a minute. We're going to continue to do so, as we always do. We have a special interview tonight. Uh, D. Wills, he, he, again, like I said in the intro, it's just night without the anger management issue, right? Like that little mean streak. <laughs> <laughs> he took the class. He passed the 12-step program, so he's all good. He can control his anger. You know, he's got, like, a little countdown. He blows out the candles little things that he do to keep himself under control when things get a little little hectic around here. <laughs> but uh he got he, he pulled some strings and got some things done. Um we got uh, an addition, classic edition, funky editorial on deck for you. We're gonna talk about LeBron James signing a one billion dollar contract tonight. What does that mean? Like what what does that mean? Like one billion dollars. Like I'm doing a uh Dr. People's Austin Power Kick thing right now. You can't see it radio. But I am doing that because $1 billion is just my money. And he is the first athlete to sign a $1 billion endorsement deal. Um, just what does that mean? How does that change the game? That was one of the goals he set for himself as a youngin coming up, and he's finally achieved that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see about that. And we're going to have to get the guys' opinions on that. We're going to hit you off with a five on the black-hand side where we're going to get into the NBA playoffs. Lots going on. As my man PAZ said, it was all good just a week ago. Um, then we're gonna we're gonna hit you with a new a new segment that we have here on the Real Sports Guys. It's called I Don't Have Facts to Back This Up. Inspired by my man Herman Cain, and that's what the Real Sports Guys are just gonna give you our just straight up opinion. Like we don't even have to back it up with nothing. We're just gonna say what we feel. <laughs> so you're gonna get some real. We're gonna try to predict the future and really throw some stuff at you in that particular segment. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but with no further ado, I'm going to let D. Will set the table for this special, special uh, situation he put together for us. Um, so go ahead, D. Will, take it away. Well, you know, uh, we, we've, been, we've been doing it for five years, and 
um, and I, it was uh, one of the interviews I wanted to do uh, this year was with Brett Bielema because, you know, as I'll tell the story how it happened uh, uh, when we during the interview, but um, it was good he came on the show. And in some ways, he was our our biggest um, kind of name to come on, and, and always been that kind of guy that um, he wasn't going to be the kind of guy that you know he only had to talk to ESPN, and so. It just felt good. I reached out to him, uh, quickly got back, and we were able to set up an interview with him. And it was, uh, it was just good to kind of – one of the things I love about Brett is that he's unfiltered um, in a way that he's not afraid to share his opinion. Um, a lot of times you get coach speak or player speak, but, you know, he – I think part of the reason why I think players gravitate to him is that he's going to tell you what he thinks. And so you'll get a chance to hear that. So we're going to share a little bit of this interview. we got this exclusive um, and just a, it's just, a, 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 I think, a sample, kind of a foreshadowing of what is going to come on RSG and where we're going, um, that we're back and better than ever. And in our next five years, we're going to take it to another level. So I'm going I'm to drop this real quick and, and let you hear my man, Brett. you listening to The Real Sports Guys. This is Devon Wilson uh, here. We've got a special interview. Uh, and as many of you know, uh, this is our fifth-year anniversary, and uh, one of the interviews I really wanted to do in this fifth year was with uh, uh, the person who actually was one of the first guests to come on our show early on, uh, Brett Bielema, coach of the uh, uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, when he was at Wisconsin, and I've got to set this up because it explains the kind of person that he, that he is. I was in a meeting um, as most many of you know, I worked at Wisconsin, and he heard me over. He heard me talking about my radio show, and, and said, "Hey, I'll, I'll come on." And uh, we held our meeting, and then at the end, he was like, "Call my sister, I'll come on." And I was kind of shocked, and was like, oh, "He's not going to really come on." And he came on, and uh, it was just a great experience, and spoke to me with uh, what kind of person he is. And, and so, in our fifth year, we want to really bring him back, given that he's, he's about to go into his fourth year at at Arkansas, and, and really want to check in with him and consider him. Uh, you know, even when I talked to the other guys on the show, uh, we always talk about the experience of when uh, he was on the show. And so uh, I want to er- welcome to the to the Real Sports Guys, uh, uh, Coach Brett Bielema, the head coach of the uh, Arkansas Razorbacks. How are you doing, Coach? I'm doing good, Devon. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah. Um, it's been uh, – you, you, you're entering your fourth year um, here. And so I want to start out with, you know, you just reflecting a little bit on uh, those first three years and, and what you've learned. Um, since making the transition there, and uh, what are some of the things that you're trying to do? Do you feel like you have the program where you want it in, in your image and, and how you envision it? But, you know, how have these first three years been for you there? You know, um, they've been <laughs> first couple a little long, uh, but uh, that first year we, we went three and nine and uh, had a lot of adversity that we had to triumph through, and our kids have uh, handled that moment. Next year we uh, were able to get to seven wins, get to a bowl game and win that and play Texas. And, and beat Texas in Texas and Houston Stadium was a really, really big turning point in our program. I think it gave our kids the uh, uh, feeling that, hey, we can win. We can win anywhere. We can beat people. Um, we won uh, two games down the stretch here. Uh, actually, the first time in NCAA history where an unranked team had two back-to-back shutouts against two ranked teams. Um, we uh, beat LSU and Ole Miss back-to-back. Then going into our third year, a lot of high expectations. Unfortunately, had a little bit of a a bump in the road early on, uh, but battled back, won six of our last seven, uh, finished with a 
another bowl victory against Kansas State, uh, a national program that um, I think, again, kind of gave our guys a little feather in their cap, had a very good recruiting class, and now we'll head into our fourth season, and, and I think probably as deep a roster as I've ever had, and, and uh, very excited about the opportunity. What, I, what I've uh, really appreciated uh, uh, about knowing you is, um, you know, you've been fortunate enough to be uh, to lead kind of two top-level programs. But I've always been kind of uh, 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 fascinated by your approach to recruiting because, uh, you know, the, that's the lifeline. And I love your quote. And I, when, I, when I saw it, I, said, I laughed because, you know, cause I, you know I've, I've worked with you in that, in that perspective and kind of have a sense of how you think. But, you know, you said, you know, you're never going to see – me sitting here with uh, a five-star athlete waiting for a hat to turn over. Um, and, and because it has a lot to do with how you recruit, can you talk a little bit about your recruiting philosophy and, and how you like to build your program? Well, it, it is. Uh, I think we had to find a kid that fits Arkansas. One of the main attractions when I came here to Arkansas, I thought there was a lot of similarities uh, between between here and Wisconsin. Um, you know, as far as college football, Wisconsin was the only D1 program in the state and, and kind of was the – was a cat's meow of the, of the entire state. Of course, you had the Packers and, and you know, the Bucks and the Brewers yeah. and all that jazz. But coming here to Arkansas, there was Arkansas State, who uh, was a good program, but no one really holds them in the same level as us. And, and uh, there are no other pro teams. There's no uh, pro baseball, basketball, or anything like that. Or it, It's just a, a unique environment to work, uh, to work in. And, you know, of course, we'll love – four or five-star kids if we get our hands on. Last year we signed one kid, uh, Sosa Game, who already came in. He started in January. He's going to be one of our premier players. But for the most part, we do it a lot with two-star, three-star, four-star guys that kind of fit our mode. You know, you've got to love the game of football to play here. Um, you can't just wake up and say, hey, I want to go play at Arkansas. you got to, you got to be trained in a way that, to, make it, to make it last. Um, we're a development program, so you got to enjoy the grind. Um, at some point we're going to probably grind it a little bit harder than other people and you have to embrace that. That's got to be part of our DNA. And, and there's a lot that goes into it, but um, the end result is a lot of fun. And, and one of the things also, I mean, I saw a, a tweet you sent out about the team GPA. You know, people talk a lot about, you know, coaches giving lip service, you know, but I've, you know, I've had a chance to work with you. You know, you, mm-hmm. you do embrace the academics and saw you tweet that out. And, you know, how do you build that expectation around, like, this is about being a student athlete uh, when, they, when they come to Arkansas? Well, it is. I think, you know, it's our obligation. I think we grab a young man at the age of 18, and uh, he comes to school, and for the first time he's been around his, his support factors, you know, the, the parents or the family or the coaches that have made him who he was. And now you got to make sure that he, he does that next step, which is get that degree, that piece of paper that will carry him for the next 40 years, 50 years of his life. Um, so that's a, a very, very important thing to me. And we took a, a GPA that was around a 2-2 when I got here. We're barely under a 3.0. We just finished with the highest semester GPA in school history. Um, we led the SEC. In the last three years, I've had 100 players become academic all-SEC, and, and that leads the whole entire conference over those three-year window. Um, last year, we, we led it all with, I believe, uh, 40, and the next highest number was Alabama with 32. So we're setting a 10 there, and, and uh, you know I do believe that smart players off the field lead to smart players on the field. And uh, for that reason, I took a lot of my model – that we had at Wisconsin and carried it to here. Um, just didn't want, you know, another quote that I always loved in recruiting is you recruit your own problems, you know, and if these guys yeah. are complaining about these kids that they've recruited and they, they cause all these issues or all these problems, well, you're the one that gave them a chance, you know. Um, so you got to be able to, to kind of burn it out of both ends. 
So you, you, you said this is the best team. You lost a lot of talent um, uh, with, the, with the graduation or people going on uh, to the NFL draft. You had Brandon Allen, who well, I think he had like 30 touchdowns or something like that. Um, you know, Alex Collins, who uh, great running back. Um, you had Henry. I think then he won, he won the, um, the uh, uh, John yep. with uh, the Mac Award. Um, yep. So you, you lost some talent. Um, when you look at, you know, you, you know, this is the building. This is where you build championships. You were coming out, you were like, I think, the last uh, program in the SEC to do a spring game. What did you learn, and what, what do you want to have in place? What do you need to improve on by the time you get to that opening game? Well, I think we just got to keep, keep our standard mode of operation. We're a program that develops players. Um, we never really want to become satisfied with, with yesterday's results, and, and I challenge our players all the time. Um, whether they're here on campus, whether they're at home, whether it's uh, our coaches that are on the road recruiting or are here, here at home developing our players, we're trying to make ourselves, it's a process. We try to get better every day. And if, if we can continue to work this process, good things will eventually come. And I, I tell our coaches all the time, just keep the pace, keep the faith, keep the pace, and, and, and just keep grinding because it'll, it'll get there. Where we are right now compared to when I first got here, it's like night and day. And it's that's what you need to do to, to, to turn one of these programs. And, and we're closer now than we've ever been, but we're still still a long ways away, so it's a lot of fun to kind of work through it all. Well, you definitely moved from, you moved from the Big Ten to the SEC um, recruitment. Uh, but, you, you know, one of the things, you, you haven't been shy to talk about things that you think need to change in the game. Uh, I was trying to figure out what the chatter was around this kind of satellite camping stuff. I was trying to get my head around it. What's the big issue around that? Um, I was trying to – I was just at uh, Michigan's uh, spring game trying to look at what they had. But I, I, I was trying what's, – what's the issue around that? Well, it, it started actually about, about four or five years ago. When I first came in the league here to the SEC, there were teams that were coming from Oklahoma uh, that were, were in, the, in the Big 12, um, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, and they'd come down to Texas and put on these satellite camps. And even though they weren't hosting them, they would partner with another school – and they would be able to have their coaches present and, and get a chance to work with them. And I'm um, a huge recruiting tool. Obviously, you can't recruit, but you can work with them and you can visit with them. And to spread your brand in a foreign state, you, before you weren't able to leave the state uh, as, a, as a high school camp. You couldn't do – there were certain rules uh, within a mile radius of your campus and state borders. And then as, a, as the years went on, people began to catch on and catch on. And actually, when the SEC had a couple coaches defect to the Big Ten, uh, that's when they brought them to the Big Ten um, and then obviously Michigan uh, did it last year, which drew everybody's attention. So it kind of been in the hopper, and then they passed a rule this year that opened up the floodgates. And I mean, they they've got the wild, wild west going on right now. They just came out with a <laughs> six-page letter yesterday telling us what we can and can't do. I mean, they're trying to cover their tracks. It's it's really kind of uh, I, I think that it'll get blown up so bad this year that it'll be something that'll probably be eliminated uh, before the season uh, next year. I mean, if you were thinking about one or two things you'd say, because I know you think about this, that would improve the college game, um, what are the things that you would like to see that would improve the college game? I mean, it's a great game, a great product, it, but it, what, are, what are the things that you think would improve it? You know, I think for, from a recruiting standpoint, to make it a little bit more um, uh, even keel for everybody in the country, you know, there's certain schools that after 50 years of, of tradition have got to build an advantage, but if you can maybe level the playing field by allowing uh, to send parents – um, you know, which they're going to actually pass a rule now that parents can come on official visits and, and have a chance to see the school up close. They've never been able to do that. The rules that they have now just about um, 
how much you can feed the kids and the, and the uh, ability that you have to, uh, you know, post train them when they get done with their with their uh, workouts is a huge advantage. Um, you know, I think one that, that that really jumps out to me is there's such a discrepancy and in, in, in sometimes in the pace of play and how it's judged within leagues to have a little more uniformed, uh, consistent pace of play uh, be the standard for the entire country might be a good thing as well. Okay. So I, I got a couple questions here because I know you got a lot going on you want to run a, a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about maybe one or two players that you're you're really excited about? You want to see what they do for you next year? Um, you know, I know uh, uh, you have with uh, Frank, Frank uh, uh, Ragnow is a, mm-hmm. a Remington Award. Uh, uh, so obviously, that you know, having a center, having somebody up the middle who's that good is really good. But beyond Frank, who are some other people that you, you're really excited about to see what they can do for you? Well, I'm excited with Frank just because we always have old lineman up for awards, and he's from Minnesota. We yeah. really. Beat, him, beat out on everybody in the country. It really got down to us in Florida State towards the end. Um, great player. Also, my, my starting tailback, it'll be a battle between Cody Walker and Raleigh Williams, um, two very talented uh, running backs. Raleigh came in last year, unfortunately broke his neck in the Auburn game, but uh, should be a 1,000-yard rusher and a very, very, very good football player that um, can, can come in and change the game in a heartbeat. I think we have a group of four to five wide receivers. I've never had this luxury who are, are among the best I've ever had. We had uh, Keon Hatcher, who's a senior, uh, and then also a senior in Dominic Reed, who's been timed in a in the sub four two forty range. Um, so some guys that can really play on defense. We got nine of eleven back. We have a starting middle linebacker who started since his freshman year, who um, is is got close to a three seven. He's a pre med, uh, just a phenomenal uh, football player, but also a person. So uh, very excited about this group overall. Uh, and, and and you know the best part about them is. Um, you know, they they don't have any idea how good they can become. They're just, you know, trying to work mm-hmm. every day and scratching the surface to where they want to go. And and finally, because he, he's kind of made some news here recently, and, and when we interviewed you uh, at, 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 towards the beginning when we launched our podcast, um, you know, you had some really strong and, and, and really sound words to say about Russell Wilson, and he just did the commencement uh, here at Wisconsin um, uh, this year. Um but it, it, it appears that people um, challenge his persona, whether or not he's genuine. And, and I know when you, you spent a lot of time with him, with him um, and, and really pay attention to – I know you really try to push on that character thing. What, what, why is he, someone like him, misunderstood? I know you spent a little – you know, you were there, you worked with him. Why is he sometimes misunderstood as a person? Well, I think a little bit because he's almost too good to be true. I mean, he truly is a, yeah. an incredible human being that – is gifted in many ways beyond football. Um, you know, my wife Googled up that uh, that uh, commencement speech, and I listened to it uh, uh, on Sunday night, and just, you know, the message that he gave those young people was priceless uh, about the ability, you know, to battle back when people say no, um, and the answers you got to find within yourself, and sometimes you just got to succumb and, and move on, but I thought his message was, was unbelievably clear and loud and, and great to the young people um, that were there in attendance, as well as the old people. Um, yeah. And the other part, I think, is, you know, because people in this world naturally want to hate. I mean, Russell's had so much success. Every time someone has success, you know, 80% of the people want to see you fail, you know, and um, it's just the way people work today. I constantly guard our players against it. Um, it's just natural, and then, and you know, certain parts of the country, it's a little bit more than others. I, I always found it entertaining as much success as we had at Wisconsin 
there was a lot of people that want to talk about what this, what we didn't do. We didn't win a Rose Bowl. We didn't, you know. Well, we also went to three straight Rose Bowls that had never been done since the uh, a program, I believe, in the seventies. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. we did something nobody else had done in a long, long time. And and yeah. it's just unfortunate that people in today's world try to focus on the negatives rather than the positives. Um, I think life would be a lot better if you focus on those, but everybody doesn't want to take my advice. So, um, you know, I also believe the world would be a better place if everybody wore flip-flops. I don't think we're going to get everybody to buy in yet. But, uh, you got to have your own way of looking at things, you know? Yeah, I understand. Well, Coach, I want to say this, man. I've tried to, you know, I've always tried to uh, secure interviews with different folks, and there are certain folks who won't do, they only do interviews with ESPN or other ways, other other big-time uh, podcasts and networks, but you've always kept it real with us. You know, we, we reach out to you. You've been there, um, and uh, we appreciate it. Uh, you know, we're here five years later, um, and, and, and having you come back on the air with us uh, during, you know, during a time when you're trying to get things done. So we definitely uh, appreciate uh, having you on the air and uh, look forward to, you know, reconnecting in the future and, uh, and wishing you well in your season next year. Thank you, Devon. I appreciate it very much, and you guys keep it real. All right. Real Sports Guys, uh, that's with uh, Coach Brett Bielema uh, here on the Real Sports Guys podcast, uh, you know, a five-year reunion uh, show, getting getting back and getting some of our highlights, and he was definitely a highlight. Uh, we appreciate uh, having him with us. All right, welcome back to the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. Man, Devon, that was great work, man. That was great work. And, again, shout-out to Coach Bielema for joining us again um, and helping us kind of uh, uh, celebrate the fifth-year anniversary of, of the start of the show. Um, man, he laid, you guys touched on a lot of topics. Um, one that I was really interested in hearing him talking about, uh, to hear him talk about was the whole situation with the satellite camps. Um, and I thought yeah. that the NCAA, I mean, they might have popped the ACL, MCL, and the UCL <laughs> as quickly as that knee jerked when they reacted and trying to ban the satellite camps, which I thought was a genius idea um, and was actually something that benefited kids. Yeah, programs kind of were able to kind of go outside of their area and get, but that's, I don't think there's a problem with that. Like, if you find a kid who may have fallen through the cracks before, it's about creating those opportunities. And I felt like the satellite camps were doing that. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on uh, Coach Beatles' perspective on the satellite camps? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you know, the, the SEC has been uh, pretty loud about it, you know, and I, I wanted to definitely get his perspective on it. And, you know, what I could tell in his answer, and we kind of talked a little bit off air at, at some point, but, you know, the frustration with, uh, you know, with not being able to make a decision. And, you know, he talked about the six-page letters that he got from him. And so – you know, just, you know, I could tell it's a frustration with him that I think that's happening with a lot of other coaches that, you know, they were quick to react to this, but, you know, they take, you know, three years to make a decision on another thing. And so this inconsistency they have, you know, when just kind of reacting to some issues raised. And, and like I say with you, I mean, you know, one of the things you notice with them is like, you know, anything that can make it easier on the parents, the kids, you know, anytime you can create an opportunity where kids don't have to travel that far to be seen and you don't have to put any more economic pressure on them, you know, it's something that I think is, is good. And you can sense that with him is that he gets, you know, <clears throat> he feels like the NCAA doesn't have the attention on the right things. 
uh, but they want to be blocking things that could be a benefit to to directly to the athlete. So, yeah, I mean, it, I think his answer was right on, and probably, you know, other than someone like Saban, you know, um, you know, probably what most coaches probably feel about this. Yeah, Saban's always a little bit. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like. Saban, like, he got his way, and he wants to, like, switch it up so that his way is the only way. You know, like, he didn't want he, – he tried to, like, you know, he was advocating for, you know, the the I guess slowing down the game and not letting teams speed it up because that wasn't to his advantage. Um, you know, satellite camps. And, and, Brett, and Brett was on that – Brett was on that pace of play thing as well. I mean, he, it was him and Saban on that one. I didn't push him as much on that point. Uh, but he, he was also on that face of play. So I, that was like one of the few things that he and Saban probably felt like they were on the same issue on. Uh, but I, I didn't push him as much on the pace of play uh, conversation because I didn't have much time with him. But he did raise the issue. Yeah. If you heard the interview, he said something about pace of play. So I, he's the one person that's on the Saban side. And I was kind of surprised because I think with the way he wants to play, I, I don't think it would be that much harder. I think he could probably adjust probably more than Saban. But he's been on that side. Yeah, I think on the field, it, 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 given where he's at, it'll be difficult to replicate the style of play that he had at Wisconsin just because if you're going to play that way, you're playing right into a team like Alabama or LSU's hands, and they're usually going to have better athletes. Um, yeah. And, 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 and a stronger, they're going to be stronger up front usually. Um, and so it's, it, I think it's tougher in SEC to play that Wisconsin style of football, that smash mouth brand of football, because the athletes are a little bit different. Um, PhD, anything stood out to you? What were your thoughts on, on Brandon? Again, thanks to Coach Bielma for for blessing RSG with another great interview. Um, what were your thoughts on the interview, PhD? I tell you what, Coach seemed like he's trying to get a nice stable down there. He said he got a cat that been timed in the four two range. I was waiting for him to say, Yeah, 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 click clack. <laughs> yeah, he, right he on, can go, right click on. clack. <laughs> yes, sir. It was a great interview. It uh you know, it, throughout the interview I was just reflecting where we've been over the past five years and you're right, he was one of our um, you know, first guests to come onto the show and it was just really interesting to hear the things that you all, you all have already talked about in terms of the satellite camps, um, but also kind of a reminder of what he accomplished at Wisconsin and also some of the feats that he's accomplished at Arkansas. Um, so, you know, I wish him the best, and he seems like he's uh, – I mean, that's that's a really tough place to be successful. Um, but, you know, he hit the nail in the head saying that, you know, Arkansas, they don't have any major pro teams there. It's just Razorback country. So, um you know, hopefully if he can win the state and, you know, win occasionally in the region down there, you know, to me it was a shame that he lost, like, uh, he left Wisconsin because, you know, when he was there, I always put him at one of the top five coaches in the country just in terms of what Wisconsin was accomplishing um, given that they weren't, you know, one of the, you know, original core teams in the Big Ten. You know, you looked at Michigan, um and Ohio State, and when they had hiccups, Wisconsin was right there. He took advantage of that. So, you know, I do have faith that he can do the same thing or even better things in Arkansas. 
And so, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to uh to continue to grow the program down there. All right. You listen to Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio. Make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe to the Real Sports Guys podcast. We'll be right back after this quick message. Hi, this is Brett Bielma, the head coach of the University of Arkansas Razorbacks, and you're keeping it real with the real sports guys. Whoopig. All right, and we are back. You listen to the real sports guys, RSG Renegade Radio, the People's Podcast. Uh, we are about to hit you off again. Thanks to Coach Bielma uh, and D. Wills, Suge Knight, for hooking that up, getting that set up, man. You always making major moves. I got, I'm, I'm doing a little Riley Curry thing. I don't know if y'all saw Riley Curry, which did the little, I'm watching you to the reporters. <laughs> That kid, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. Riley Carey be killing you, man. She be killing. Oh, she, she, she killing you. But you know, but but you know, you know, you know, we both gotta get love to our, our guy Phil because he he kind of like he, he that Dr. Dre and he keep he keep you motivated on it. So I always I always like to give him a shout out because you know when I when I'm reaching out doing these things, I always thinking about him because he's put on quite a production on stuff. So I, I I have to always give it to my boy. Because he keeps me motivated. Absolutely, absolutely. It's the, it's the illustrious three man booth, right? It's all three of us putting right. it down, making it happen. As yeah, always, yeah. we are going to hit you with a classic segment. The Funky Editorial is back for this five year edition of The Real Sports Guys. Let's go ahead and get into it, fellas. We know how we love this drop. Fellas, the one thing we need to say shall we say it, y'all? Melvin, right. Jimmy, Coleman, Ryan, say it. Everybody want to get funky one more time. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. This is edition of the Funk Editorial. Real sports guys, we are going to talk about LeBron James. Recently just signed a $1 billion contract with Nike, um, a lifetime deal. Um, a couple of questions I got for the fellas. We're going to toss around a few questions around this particular topic and get the real sports guys' opinion on this particular situation. Now, LeBron signs his $1 billion contract with Nike, lifetime deal. First question I got, I want to throw this out to PAC. Um, you're a LeBron fan. What does this say about LeBron Corporation? I'm sorry, you said what does it say about LeBron's what? His corporation and LeBron, the entity, the business entity that is LeBron James Inc. Where, where, where what does this say about where he's at as a uh, as a, a business corporation himself? It says that he's trailblazing, man. Um, if you take a step back, I don't, I don't, I would say that the most successful athlete um, in terms of becoming a successful businessman and really, you know, turned himself into a brand was probably Jordan. Uh, Magic's all, you know, clearly done a great job and there's others, but you look at what Jordan has done, what his net worth is, um, going on to buy a team. Either Jordan was doing this on a low low back when he was playing, or a lot of these things started to emerge after he had finished in terms of his Jordan brand deal. And so now with LeBron, we're starting to see him do this, you know, towards the prime or on the back end of his career when he's still very relevant in terms of his playing career. Um, so I think in a lot of ways, LeBron has been a trailblazer, man, with his one plus one deal each year. You know, those two-year deals where he's really holding the team accountable. He's done a lot of different things. You know, when he came out of high school, he had a $90 million deal with Nike. And now we see this deal that has the potential of getting to be around a billion or over a billion dollars. That that relatively looks like chump change, the deal he had coming out of high school. So I think everything he's done, especially with coming back to Cleveland, because uh, I don't think he gets this deal if he didn't come back to Cleveland. When he came back to Cleveland, the people that were hurt the most, Clevelanders, it's pretty much, I mean, most people have forgotten that in terms of people within the Ohio-Cleveland region. Um, I think people nationally and globally still, you know, may hold some contention towards him, but um, for the most part, the people in Cleveland have looked past that because he kind of came back. And so I think that also helped him get this deal. So so he's just done a lot of different moves along the ways, um, like along the way, even some missteps. Um, but he's figured out how to kind of redo things in a better way. So, I mean, the sky is limit, like the limit with this dude. And if he is able to lead this Cleveland Cav team to a championship, a billion dollars will be um, – it seems odd to say this, but I think it'll be a bargain for Nike. Wow. Okay. And, and I can't really argue with that perspective. Um, I think, you know, the billion-dollar number, um, we're talking about over his lifetime, you know, they're going to – I always kind of look at it like this. If, you, if, if somebody's going to give you that, they're going to get that plus some um, in return. 
or else they wouldn't give it to you. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. people always say, well, this guy can't be worth that much money. Well, if they're making that times 10 off of him, then, yeah, that's why they're giving it to him because he is worth right. that much because they're going to make that plus plus some off of him. So, you know, I think you're pretty accurate. Jordan is still making, you know, nine digits. You know, he's making over $100 million a year still. He's been out the game, you know, for the better part or 10-plus years now. And so, in some ways, you look at, hey, we're getting LeBron. He's only 31 right now, and we're getting a lifetime deal. I mean, it is kind of at a bargain when you calculate what tomorrow's dollars are going to be. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, Jordan, he ain't been in the game for a minute, but that meme of Jordan crying is everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Soon as somebody messed up, man, here they come with Jordan crying meme. It's like, come on, get tired of that one. Just let that one die for a little bit. Let it go sit in the corner for a second and just let it marinate for a little bit. We don't have to use it every single time somebody fails at something. Um D. Wills, I want to pull you into this conversation. Uh, how can LeBron leverage this for to impact the game on the court? Um, you know, obviously he won't be hurting in this uh, financially. Uh, he's kind of already done the one-plus-one deal. Um, do you think he kind of starts to take a Tim Duncan, Dirk Nowitzki kind of approach? Like, I'm good financially. I don't necessarily need to be the highest-paid player on my team. Um, I want to start to win some champions. I want to start to really, really rack up some championships. How do you think he could possibly leverage? Do you think he do you think he might leverage it that way? I, I think he might, but I think he might make Gilbert go one more year to make sure he's locked into the strategy. You know, um I think that's one of the reasons why he was able to do it. And he'll he'll leverage it more or less for his deal. He'll do what he did for Tristan. He'll make sure these key players get the money they're supposed to get. So, yeah, I think he'll do that. Yeah. But I think he'll still take a little bit more money to keep Dan Gilbert, you know, in and honest in the pace, right? Um, and so I think that will happen. But I, I think you'll see as it is for today's market because that money's going to go up, right? The money's going up over the next couple of years. So there's going to be a lot of room for people to play. And I think he, he wants to make sure that Dan spends that money wisely. So, I mean, when you think about his first decision to – um, get rid of the agents and, and have his boys working with him on his marketing and then sending people to school, doing that stuff. When he did it, people thought he was crazy. Um, but, I mean, wise beyond his years, he is laying this blueprint out, man. And I think it's going to have an even bigger impact on some of the work he wants to do in the Akron area with the Akron Promise, some of the stuff he wants to leverage to make for social change. I mean, I think that's where you're going to really – he understands by being in that kind of space, it allows for him to influence, whether it's politics, other things, in a way that he could do over his lifetime. And I think he's always been that way. I think Phil's talk about the impact of LeBron, and we're going to begin to understand him the farther away we get. I mean, I don't think we're going to really understand what this young man knew at such a young age for another 15 years, the way he's setting the game up. I mean, he's setting the game up in different industries in ways that are, you know, he, Mike, Mike has been very successful, but Mike didn't move the pieces. Mike had really good, I feel like Mike had really good people around him, and he rolled with the plan. 
I feel like LeBron is moving the pieces on the chessboard, which is different. Yeah, and that's very different. And I think, you know, I think it's one of those situations, and I don't want to, I don't want to step in the field area of being too much of a LeBron fan. Um, but, <laughs> and I got something for both Not of you fired. guys. From here on out, on this radio show, when Field starts talking about LeBron or D. Wills, when you start talking about Draymond, I'm going to throw this on. <laughs> you, 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 you on your production, man. You on your AJ tonight. Yeah, well, anytime y'all start talking about Draymond, I'm trying to throw him stand. I'm going to get that Eminem stand. <laughs> okay. So, okay. <laughs> so, we go, we, so we, if, 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 will you throw it on when you start talking about Tracy the Great? I ain't been talking about Tracy. Talking about, <laughs> talking about Tracy the Great Hall of Famer. Great for all time. Every time. Yeah, we, we have to throw it on you. when you start talking about Greg Oden. Greg Oden. Women this. Yeah, I got Women this over you. I got jokes and I run the board, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> So the last thing I want to say is that, you know, Under Armour has Steph, they have Cam Newton, they have Bryce Harper, which are kind of the young faces, not not necessarily young faces, but some some high-profile guys who are at the top of their leagues, um, very high-profile, kind of household names. Um, and Nike still has a 90% share in the, in the uh, athletic apparel shoe market as far as the, the, the triumvirate of, Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour. Um, do you think Nike wow. had to? Do you think Nike had to do this um, in order to maintain that ninety percent share um, as Under Armour continues to grow? Um, we're seeing a lot of universities and, and colleges switch over from Adidas to Under Armour. The NBA is switching from Adidas to Nike as their uh, apparel provider. Um, the NFL is a Nike league, um, so. Under Armour is kind of Marlowe Stansfield right now, um, trying to move in <laughs> on, on on Barksdale and, and Bell on the BNB game, and Adidas is kind of prop Joe <laughs> right now. They on the east side, <laughs> and they kind of trying to see how this whole west side West Baltimore thing play out. <laughs> but yeah, they gonna get, I think they're gonna wind up getting stuck. <laughs> Yeah. Trying to avoid getting beat up. 
you know, and that was the way he he, he redirected people's attention. Hey, survival of the fittest, man. Survival of the fittest. That is what it's always about, man. That is what it's always about. So, you know, but what are your thoughts on that? The idea that uh, Nike might have had to have made this deal um, in order to kind of secure their future as a brand in a marketplace that's getting a little bit more competitive. What are your thoughts on that idea, um, PhD? Huh, that's, I mean, that's an interesting position because, you know, if you just kind of play this out, how, you know, like, get a feel of how it likely played out, Nike couldn't lose LeBron. They couldn't lose LeBron. He, he is their thoroughbred and their stable right now. That, that's my second stable reference for the night, um, and my last. But you know, and, <laughs> and maybe it was Under Armour. I wouldn't put it past LeBron. I think it's brilliant. Of hey, Nike, you got to make a move. You got to make a move. This is what it's going to take. If not, I'm going to explore my other options, or I already have an offer in hand. And so, you know, I. I mean, it's. This cat just secured a billion, a billion dollar deal, and yeah. So, so from Nike, they just couldn't lose him. I think losing LeBron in 2016 would be as close as the closest comparison would be to them losing Jordan back in Jordan's heyday in, in the mid 90s. In the late 90s. I don't think it would be as critical, but I think it's probably the closest um, in terms of them losing one person and how that could shift. I mean, if LeBron left Nike, man, that would be a 30 for 30, just like him leaving Cleveland. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because wherever he goes, immediately kind of Phil Knight going to write a letter. Phil Knight going to write a letter. (laughs) (laughs) Post it. (laughs) <laughs> Sidebar, Call him a traitor. Believe land. Um, watch it, listeners. Watch it. It was. Uh, I mean, it was. It was deep. I mean, there were a few times, and I'm not even from Cleveland. I've been here for the better part of more of a decade. But I mean, like there was just some things that hit home for me, especially the LeBron piece. Because uh, I lived that But the, the Cleveland Browns and the Indians I mean man, Cleveland fans Have to be the most cynical Pessimistic Fans you will ever run into And that's saying a lot If you know the definition of the word of a, a fan, a fanatic But you watch that 30 for 30 And you get it At least I did, like I got it I mean, it's It's well founded And yeah, I mean, with the Cavs going down or tying the series of 2-2, you just, part of it's like, wait a minute, what's going on? <laughs> Man, he on the board tonight. He on the board like Ken Capri. He on the board like Ken Capri tonight, boy. Right, you know what I mean? <laughs> I set Marcus up with a beautiful transition and he just here, you know, giving me this music in the background. I hear you know. You know I didn't pick it up still. I was a little quiet. I said, Oh man, you got it. Hey. <laughs> he, 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 he gave you 
he can, he like his love Jones, like, like you know, love and basketball. He he, he get emotional. Oh, hey, I'm, I'm here all night, man. I'm here all night. <laughs> we gonna transition though, because you did set me up nice. So we gonna transition. You listen to the Real Sports Guys, RealSportsGuys.com, RSG Renegade Radio, the People's Podcast. Uh, we're going to get into the five on the black-hand side. This edition of the five on the black-hand side, we will be focusing on the NBA playoffs. Uh, so let's go ahead and jump right in, fellas. Five, uh, five, uh, uh, on the black-hand side. All right, five on the black-hand side. The Real Sports Guys have five questions. Each of us will take a turn kind of answering the question. Um, first up in the five on the black-hand side, and first got to get us queued up with some sounds. I got to get us queued up with some sounds for the five on the black hand side. All right, now now we're properly ready. Five on the black hand side. Yeah, we got that lounge music going. You got to stretch out for this, fellas. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you know I had to get some outcasts in there for you, for you guys tonight, man. I had to get some outcasts on. Um, five on the black hand side. Number one, Kyle Lowry, leaving the bench. Good move or bad move? Now, if you had to ask me this Monday morning, Sunday, I'd have said bad move. Um, Tying it up too, too, I really don't care. <laughs> Take all the press you want, man. Compress all you need. Um, but what was your initial thought? Like, my initial thought was, yeah, that's not a good look. Um, what are you decompressing from? It's a basketball game, man, and you're a professional player. What is going on right now? Um, so I was a little kind of skeptical at first, but again, winning to us all ills and really is ultimately the only thing that matters in the end, as a professional. Um, what were your initial thoughts on the whole Kyle Lowry needing to go back to the locker room to decompress PAC? Well, you know, we were at the game, man, so I didn't really hear about this the next morning, you know, on Sports Talk Radio. And honestly, when I started to see the highlights, it's you know, the first thing that ran across my mind is, like, this is a non-story. It really is. This is a case of having way too many cameras in the arena. This is something that we would even have captured 15 years ago. So I just really saw it as a non-issue. I mean, the guy was in foul trouble when this happened, so he was not going back into the game. And he did this with, like, a minute or two left in the second quarter. But he was on the bench for the rest of the half. Um, I just saw it as a non-issue. Okay. D. Wills, did you see it the same way, non-issue, or is this something to be worried about? No, I, mean, I see it as a non-issue, man. When you think about all the stuff that happens on the sidelines, yeah, you know, you had Dennis Rodman laying on the on stuff and sleep. You got people who go back and ride on a bike to stay loose. There's a lot that happens on the bench uh, that that we don't pay attention to. And so, you know, if he's going to go and take a break and come back, I didn't have a big deal with it. I had more of a big deal with him asking Tyron Lue if they could sit down and watch game one film together. That's why I think he's crazy. But other than that, uh, leaving the bench, I mean, a lot of stuff happens on the bench. Okay. Okay. All right. So, yeah, you guys didn't have any – again, at first I was kind of like, eh. But then after a while I was like, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. So I'm with you guys. It's not that big of a deal. Um, is it the best look in the world? No. Am I? Is it as big of a deal as we made it out to be? The media, us being the media, probably not. Um, let's go on to number two in the five on the black hand side. Uh, is Cleveland really the favorite? 
because this is what we were hearing before. Now, again, things have changed. As PAZ said at the beginning of the show, it was all good just a week ago. And so, you know, a week ago, Cleveland was viewed as the favorite. Um, They had surpassed kind of Golden State as as a team that everyone thought had the inside track um, to winning the championship. Do we still feel that way despite the two losses, or should we have never felt that way to begin with? Um, D. Wills, what are your thoughts? You know, as Phil, as Phil said, we were at the game uh, Thursday night, and, and I was telling Phil, I was like, man, they look good. Um, and, uh, I mean, just ball movement and everything else. I think what we wanted to see, though, is, you know, you know, they've been win- they had that streak going and had no adversity, and now they have an adversity. I still think um, they can be the favorite. Um, you, know, I, you know, Toronto made some adjustments, but, you know, I think going back to Cleveland, you know, I think most people thought it was going to go six games anyway. Um, you know, not really seven, but probably five or six. So, you know, I think they still could be the favorite. But I think we're fine about all the teams, especially teams that we're talking about, like Gold State and OK City. They don't, they don't have as much room for error as we thought. You know, um, and we're finding that out in the playoffs. And I think when, if Cleveland, if all of them are playing at their best, you know, I think watching Cleveland up, a person, you know, you, they're not a team you want to mess with. I feel good about what they're bringing to the court when you see them play in person. So, you know, um, I, 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 you know, I think they uh, have slipped down a little bit, but I, I think they're a strong favorite. Okay. Uh, PAZ, what's your thoughts on, on Cleveland as the favorite? No. There's a team in the West that won 73 games, and they're still alive. Until they are eliminated, Cleveland is not the favorite. However, when you have the best player in the world, LeBron James, um, you're always in it. Put the music on. <laughs> <laughs> it's already on. <laughs> you knew he was going to pivot. You knew he was going to pivot. That's a, a slight. To the MVP conversation. Okay, let's sit back. Go. I'm gonna sit back and let you do your thing now. Well, I was done. I was done. I was getting in and out of my stuff quick. When he said he had the no, best player in the world, we're talking about this five. Number three. Number three is is Ty Lue the best coach in Eastern Conference? Yeah, you can go ahead, you will. I mean, PAZ, go ahead. Why are you, while your music still playing? Yeah, I think when you have the best player in the conference, um, especially in basketball, I mean, I don't know if we can say this in most other sports, but when you have the best player, you already have. <laughs> <you're> <laughs> <laughs> you're already halfway around the track of being the best coach. Um, he's not battle tested and blah, 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 but I mean, when you have a team and. Um, you know, like when you have LeBron, like you halfway there. So <laughs> I, would, I would say yes, but I think it's also an infraction, man. On on like it's a statement on how weak the coaching game is compared to 10, 20, 30 years ago, where when you just had streams of programs set up. You know, the the NBA was was almost as stable as the college basketball scene is now. Back then, yep. you know, I mean, now you got to 
college coaches, they'll give you five, six years to build something typically. You know, that's how it was back in the NBA, man, back in the 80s and, the, you know, early 90s where you had, you know, teams were okay having George Carl take them to the four or five seat. Like, they were okay with that. You know, now it's, you know, we got to get rid of everybody. So Right, that Memphis, the Memphis you know, Grizzlies syndrome, right? That's right. That's right. And the Denver well, they, Nuggets, can't, they can't keep know. a coach. Yeah. 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 Now now look where they at. Um, yeah. All right. Question number four in the 500 blackhand side. Um, is Bismack Biombo? is he really 23? I'm just saying. <laughs> this came up on the screen the other day, man. This came up on the screen, and I was like, man, that dude ain't no 23. He looked my age. <laughs> And, and you know, recently there was a, there was a story. I don't I don't hate to pigeonhole people, but you know I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, Captain Africa in Canada. You know, he was posing like he was 17 at the high school in Canada, playing on the varsity team, killing, getting recruited. They come to find out he yeah. was 29. <laughs> right, I heard about that. So I'm looking at Biombo like, come on now, 23? <laughs> really? You supposed to be some type of twenty three year old. I ain't never seen no twenty three year old doing all of that, man. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out to into the space, man. I don't think Big Mac Biombo no twenty three. He gon' he gonna age like Matumbo did. Matumbo was legit and he was like twenty nine. Then the next year he turned thirty and it was like he was thirty eight. <laughs> it was like what am I doing? You hit this wall a little too soon, brother. You supposed to have about five good years left. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I'm watching. I got. I'm, I'm hitting. I'm hitting Biombo with that Riley Curry right now. The two fingers to the forehead. <laughs> I'm watching you. So we finna get into this. Devon, your turn. Second best player on the Golden State Warriors. Mr. Mark Mosley, the field goal kicker known as Draymond Green. Uh, (laughs) It's it's obvious. Play music for me. I might hear some bars over there. But uh, I'm all about Drake. You know, he, he, uh, on the defensive end, the offensive end, he anchors them, he sets their tone. Well, he's not in it. You can tell. Um, Clay Thompson is getting a pass, man. If he ain't scoring, he ain't really playing, you know. And Dre is doing. A, if Dre ain't scoring, Dre's doing some other things. But sometimes Clay can. He goes to the witness protection program if he don't hit his first three shots. Um, but Dre, I mean, he anchors the defense. He gives them an edge that that other cats don't give. He helps run that offense. Um, makes it easy on everybody else. So yeah, he's clearly my second best player on on, on Golden State. Play the music. His mama named him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second best player on Golden State. Warriors. <laughs> His mama named him Clay. I'm gonna call him Clay. I had some fun earlier today, man. What can I tell you? I had a little time. <laughs> Devon hit me with a text. He's like, man, the board is empty, man. We need you to get on the board. You got to put the board back together. So I did. <laughs> 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 
Oh, man. So, THD, second best player on the Golden State Warriors. Who is he? Oh, man. I used to know you. Um, so, Devon, um, I'm just going to say it, man. I didn't see Draymond being Draymond. And you saw like you saw him grow into Draymond a lot sooner than I did. Um, I gave you a lot of stuff, man. And I blatantly said you were wrong about Draymond. And I'm going to say right now, you weren't. I was wrong about Draymond. Um, and I have reluctantly taken this position where I'm at now. And it's taken me one morning. I felt like the Dan Patrick show, the Mike and Mike show, like you had put them up to talking about this. Each of them just <laughs> spontaneously start, like, ask the question, is Draymond Green a top ten player in the league? And I said, wait a minute, is D. Wills, like, is, you know, like, is D. Wills part of this man? Like, what is this? And I still didn't believe it. And so then, you know, I'm at work, man, and I'm talking, like, I'm at the water cooler, and somebody brings up, you know what? I think Draymond Green is a top ten player in the NBA now. And I'm Ooh. looking around the corner, man. I'm like, is, is D. Wills here somewhere? And this was during the stretch when, you know, I think what put me over the – so to answer your question, yeah, I think Draymond Green is the second best player on the Warriors. But I think what really pushed him over the top for me, and I hope I'm not getting caught up in the moment, is what he did when Steph Curry was hurt for those few weeks at the end of the first round and during the second round. Um, I mean, man, he was putting up major numbers, like almost a triple-double every night. He was creating stuff for other people. Um, And and honestly, he was doing what he normally does without Steph. And so I was of the ilk that I thought that a lot of what Draymond was doing was a result of the defense having to account for Steph and even Thompson. And there's probably some truth to that, but for him to be able to do what he did when Steph was hurt said a lot. And Thompson played well, too. He played, you know, like, in some ways I think Thompson's ceiling might be what we see him do with Steph, Um, which is still, you know, he's a legitimate all-star. But Draymond gives you something different, man, that good teams need to become great. Okay. All right. I guess I'm just standing over here by myself. Um, Draymond is really, really good. Draymond is really, really, really good. Here's a question I ask you guys, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to answer this in any kind of way. It's just a question that I'm throwing out there. What position would you say Draymond plays? Just for the sake of classifying, putting him in, as a position. I know he he plays multiple spots, and, and he's a guy who can play anywhere. But what position would you put him at? I would put him at a small forward. Small forward, okay. He will go. Would you put yeah, him? Yeah, close. Yeah, it's hard. I don't. My, my greatness is that you, it's hard to put him at a position. But right, but I'm just saying for the for, yeah. just for the sake. What, what would you what you what would you classify him at? Probably, yeah, probably small forward, power forward. I mean, I can't really give him one. I mean, if we were sitting there, 
Okay. Small small powerful. Yeah, we can go. We can yeah, go both. Yeah. We can go both. Small poor. Small poor. Powerful. All right. Generic hypothetical. You got to pick a guy. Start your team. Genetic. G- generic hypothetical. All right. And you got to pick a small forward or a power forward. I'll go through the names. When I hit somebody that you would take Draymond before, just say I take Dre. Just say I take Dre. But you got to do that same exercise with Clay. Small forward. LeBron. But you got to do that same exercise with Clay. Okay, small forward with LeBron. Yeah. Okay, silence. Um, Paul George, small forward. I might take him over here, though. Okay. Okay. All right, so you taking Dre. All right, Kawhi Leonard, small forward. I might take him over here, too. What? He give you okay. more. He give you, he give you as much on the Okay. But he give you <laughs> wow. He give you. You're losing credibility. How many, how, losing hold, hold it. Hold it. Hold, let me give it. How many triple doubles does he have? He's divine. You're going to use that, that one stat. That one I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna tell you. you oh, you the big. You sound like guy. analytics guy right questions. now. You sound like analytics guy right I, now. I'm trying. I'm trying not to be that, but I'm asking you how many chicken cells does he have? What does that matter? Who's the better player? It matters. He's doing. He's doing all of it. He's doing all Rondo of it. Had a lot of tri- Rondo had a lot of triple doubles at one point. Rondo yeah, Rondo had a lot Rondo ain't got Rondo. At one point. And Rondo had the intangibles to go with the triple doubles. You don't have that. So you taking you taking Draymond Green over Kawhi Leonard? Got yeah. it. Noted. Yeah. Noted. <laughs> Kevin Durant. Yeah, I'll tell you that. Kevin Durant. I'll take him Okay. All right. Let's move over. Let's slide over to power forward position. Anthony Davis. I take him over Anthony. Wow. Let's go from our. That'll show. be close depending on what I'm trying to do. I don't know what else I got. <laughs> Anthony, Anthony missing on the leadership thing, man. I'm just gonna keep this running close. close. Uh, I might take, I, I might take, I might take Anthony a little bit. I think I'm just gonna keep this running, man. Just gonna keep staying running. Marcus, the at, that, at that row, do you think they ever got to the point where they had to turn off um, Suge Knight's mic? Uh, <laughs> several times. Several, I don't even think they were really still on stage at the Source Awards. I'm reluctantly trying to be in the studio. I'm reluctantly trying to be in the studio. I ain't trying to be all in the studio. All so, on the record. So so far, Marcus, he said he'd take him, uh Dre over Draymond. No no, uh Kawhi Leonard, um, Anthony Davis, who was the third questionable? Paul George. Yeah. Wow, Devon. Do we need to go to commercial? Like, do we need to do that? Like, would right, you appreciate I that? I can take the... Let's you need to be complete, baby. Do you need to be complete? I'll have back to back this up. <laughs> yeah, let's go to commercial. That's the other segment. That's the next segment. So, when people... With that I, 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 might, when I people, might pull back on... I'm going to pull back on the Anthony Davis one, though, man. I'll pull back on that one. I like people, that. And people get into when people get into the whole Draymond top ten guy. When you start to think about it and tick off names, he's really good. He's really good, no doubt. He is really, really good. 
and he might be the second best player on Golden State. I'm not saying that he's not. I, I think that's that. I think that's a that's a legit that's a legit statement you can make. But when people go as far as to say Draymond is the top ten dude, I'm like I, I can name six or seven guys at his position that I probably would rather have over Draymond. Just at his positions or whatever you want to call it, you know, just just kind of his general role. Like he's good, he brings something different. But there are some guys who I take before Draymond if I'm starting a team. And and that's 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 again like if I'm going to build a team around a guy, I don't think I'm taking Dre first. Dre might be my second guy because he can go with a lot of guys. But if you do the same thing be, with a lot of those other guys, Thompson, I might take do, first. But, but you could do the same thing with Clay Thompson. You really could because Clay's a two, right? Clay's a two. That's a little different position. That's just I'm not even going to do that. That's why I didn't even want to do that one. And I'm not saying, but I'm yeah, also yeah. not saying Clay's a top ten player. I'm also not saying Clay's a top ten player. You know what I'm saying? That's that's where I get a little. But I, I, I think what, with what, the what, great what I, love, with, is that like we got to pull back Dre, and not trying to make this the reason why, the reason, the reason why the reason why you know why Dre is if I, if he was a boxer, you would say God, this guy. A lot of these guys can fight better, but this guy wins. Like he holds the title. Yeah, people could beat Norton, but he winning. He beating everybody, and so if part of it is it's it's a combination of how he plays and intangible stuff. That puts him over. Even all those guys, is something that he got. You put on the court, you can say all that stuff. He go at them, and they don't come back all the time. He guarding them. Well, KD, KD, KD comes at him right team. now. KD is. KD comes at him right now. I gave you two there. I gave you two. I didn't. I. I gave you two. Like KD. I think we all sleeping on KD. We I think we forgot how great he I, is. I, hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Who was sleeping on KD? That's I'm not y'all. saying you have. Yeah, I'm saying a lot of I, people. I, I, I called up it. on him. I kind of called but, it. But if you, but no, you called the you called the turn. But I never said KD was playing bad. But I think if you look at it in a broader conversation, people act like KD went somewhere, and he always been great. He in that other other space. I mean, that, he's in that, that space with, that, with with Steph and LeBron. You know, those are the, but like, he, but he, but even even Steph. We got to talk about Steph. Both both KD and LeBron try to do things on both ends. I don't think that Steph always do. I love Steph, but I think he y'all give he gives he does a lot on the he does eighty ninety percent on one end. On the other end, he, he who, who LeBron guarding in this series? Who LeBron guarding in this series? He ain't guarding DeRozan, so don't give me that. LeBron's like, don't give me that. Hold he up, guard DeRozan. LeBron had to guard DeRozan. What? He was guard DeRozan. If LeBron had to, whoever the guard, DeRozan was giving down. him the bi last night. DeRozan was giving him the business last night. Then, oh my god, you ain't guarding DeRozan last night. Oh my god, you ain't guarding DeRozan last night. Oh my goodness. So then DeRozan gave him the business. Oh my goodness. So, like, I don't get your point, Marcus. Yeah. No, I'm just saying you can't. I, you can't say. You. you can't say Steph is not a great defender when we just watched LeBron get done up by Demar Derozan. Uh, Marcus. So. Oh, I think you're reaching, baby. I think you're reaching. Yeah. I mean, so I, I'm not LeBron, reaching. That happened last night. That didn't happen last night. It did. Yeah, like I agree that ain't no half Rosen. <laughs> <laughs> I agree that the Rosen ain't no half Rosen last night. 
Say what? I mean, I agree that DeRozan gave it to LeBron last night. But okay. DeRozan is also at a very thin position as shooting guard. He's probably a top five, you know, offensive shooting guard in the league. And, you know, kind of like in baseball, good pitching will always be good hitting. I think that good offense in the NBA will always be good defense. I mean, even historically, you hold Jordan to 25 points. 25 points. 25 points, you think you're doing well. So, you know, I I think the thing that puts some shade on your argument, Marcus, is that historically and even over the course of this season, LeBron has been, you know, a near-all-defensive team type of guy. He's been a top-five perimeter defender. You know, I think in previous years you could say he's a top one or two. I don't think he's there anymore, but he's still a top-five guy. And so I think throughout right. the course of, like, a body of work of a season, he's still doing it. And I do think Steph gets a uh, maybe a, a slightly unfair rep in terms of his defense. I don't think he's as bad as some people like to say, but it's I don't think in. you can say that he's above average. <laughs> It's gonna be like, but still, like, I mean, I'll give you, like, I'll give you that Steph is an average defender, which in in today's NBA is not like that's not a criticism. You know, some people right. want to say that's that you have saying, to hide like, him; he's below average. Like, I won't, like, right. I won't go that far. You know, but to to bring that into the argument of saying that, hey, LeBron, like, yeah, he got sizzled up last night, but that doesn't happen on a regular basis. Right, and what I'm saying is, what I'm saying though is that, like, to to say, well, Steph doesn't try on that end is is is, is just as a, as absurd as saying. No, nah, I'm not giving him a James Harden. I'm not giving I'm not giving him a James Harden argument. I don't okay, think he likes so that. Then, so then, but so, I'm not thinking. So I'm then thinking he plays but, defense. But, but but now what happens? But, though, but, but when you look Clay at is a really good at, defender, but Clay is a really good defender, and so Clay gets the assignment on the perimeter. And that is, but don't doubt, don't knock Steph because he's not as good a defender as Clay, who is a really, right. really good defender. Yeah, it's kind of like Isaiah and Dumars. Dumars always got that assignment, but that does not mean that Isaiah was not a solid defender. Yeah, but I wouldn't even put. I can. I'm not even putting him close in Isaiah's realm of defense. That's because Isaiah. Like, that's not even close, time, man. <laughs> no, I don't get it crazy. Now, don't get it twisted. You, 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 you nah, 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 you, don't have me nah, do it, man. Now you throw a shade. Now you throw a shade when you need to. You throw a shade. Uh-uh. Oh no, no, I'm gonna leave that one alone. Yeah, I mean, we, we, I think we already moved into the last segment. KD's not an amazing defender either. Like KD's not an amazing defender either. He's he's solid, but KD ain't ain't that ain't his calling card either. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's but he's not. improved tremendously in that space. If you watch him, he played. He played. Yeah, he played. 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 He I'll just let uh, it ride out. We, I, I think we already, I think we already moved into that segment. We don't have facts to back it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's go ahead and do it. I think we already let's moved go ahead into and that do segment. This. Let's go ahead and do this. This segment, this segment is a new segment. Is, I don't have facts to back this up. Where each of us is just gonna take a turn saying some stuff. <laughs> We're just gonna say some stuff. <laughs> so. 
let's go ahead and get to it. Uh, I'm going to have you start us off, T.A.V. Let me hit the drop first. <laughs> I don't have back to back to back. LeBron James is still the best player in the NBA. And my facts to, bra- to back it up is what happened last year in the finals. Uh, did his team win? No. But there's no other player in this league that could have led Cleveland to win two games in the final and just dominate like he did from the conference finals on to the finals. Um, the the point I tried to make earlier with you guys, you know, a few weeks ago is we need to wait until this season's over before we take a step back and say, like the, the playoffs as well, before we take a step back and say, okay, who's the best player? Because last year, I think after the regular season, people were singing the same song of Steph Curry is the best player in the league. But then after the finals, I think most people, even Marcus, kind of said, yeah, after the finals it, it was still LeBron. And so like my point is, we need to get to the finals this year to see what's going to happen before we start talking about who's the best player best player in the NBA because LeBron plays possible, man, throughout the regular season. He He's about championships right now. So I believe that he plays at 70-80% for most of the season. You know, last year he took a few weeks off. He didn't do that this year, but he's still you know, like, it's still kind of coast mode. Let's make sure we get a top seed or two. But, you know, and then come to playoffs, I'm going to put in work. So, for me, I need to see the whole body of work of the entire season, playoffs included, before I say, okay, Steph's the best player. Because Steph is Steph is going at 100 miles per hour during the season. And that's why he deserved the MVP. But to me, he's still not the best player. If I have a draft, 10 times out of 10, 100 times out of 100, I'm taking LeBron first. I may even take somebody else second ahead of uh, Curry. I don't know for sure, but I might. Okay. Okay. Be will. I don't have facts to back this up. Billy Donovan has moved in to the top five coaching positions, at least in the West. A man that took a lot of criticism. Oh, but I think he has the top five in the West. In the West, <laughs> come on, man! I don't have facts I mean, to back this up. But, but you well, don't need can I finish my point? Can, can, can I finish my point? you know, he, 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 he was he, he was a diatribe about about uh, about King James. We said Fair man, play a little music in the background. And I'm trying to say this. What I'm saying is, and actually I, I talked to a coach today about this, and uh, that he had – What me? Uh, <laughs> not when you. I, I didn't test it. But I, I think one of the things that I noticed in his growth, and, and a lot of this is on what I think the adjustment he, put, he made in the playoffs. I think he was truly trying to figure out how the NBA game works. But if you look at the way in which he's massaged and worked rotations, the way in which he made adjustments, even that San Antonio series, the things that he's been doing in the uh, Golden State series. But you can watch, you can begin to see him do some things that I've been yelling Scott Brooks have been doing for a long time in terms of how you develop that second unit, his ability to stay with some lineups that most people would stay with, then make adjustments. He's had as much to do with them doing well this season, but hasn't really got the credit. I think people will start saying it next year. Uh, particularly if Durant stays and he's able to really work with them through another full off season and go. But 
I just think he's done an amazing job, and he comes with a lot of credentials. I mean, I think people think he's just at Florida, but he's got some NBA experience. He came in and got it, but I think he's a smart coach, and I think a lot of reason why they had a lot of these playoff games is because he's not afraid to make some of the adjustments that I knew I saw Scott Brooks wasn't making. I always tell it. <laughs> so I, I and I ain't mad at you on that, um, uh, Donovan. I think he has done a better job than Scott Brooks has. Um, I think um, they're, they're running better stuff. In my opinion, they're running better stuff. I feel like the stuff that they run is is not KD out with the ball out top and Russ out with the ball out top. And it's evident when they get into that, they struggle. When they stay away from that and they stay running something um, like an offense or some sets, it, it, things are better. Um, my first one. I don't have facts to back this up. The NFL will have moved into the number two spot as America's favorite sport behind the NBA in the next 10 to 15 years. The reason I say that, the reason I say that is I looked at some demographics. The average age of an NFL fan is... 47 to 50 years old. Wow. Average age NBA fan, around 35. So that's one piece of it. The next piece of it is that having a 10-year-old son, I'm around young parents a lot, parents of young kids a lot, and I'm hearing more and more overwhelmingly people are scared to have their young kids play football. I am hearing, like, I was not – I'm not on the, like, football is bad for kids bandwagon. Like, if you're going to play from 10 to 35, yeah, you're going to have some issues. If you're going to play all the way up through the NFL, if you wouldn't have 1% or 1% that gets to play in the NFL, you might wind up with some brain issues. Um, but I know, I know tons of people that play high school football, and I'm fine. I know tons of people that play college football, and I'm fine. Um, I think if you if you play another ten years, then yeah, you're probably gonna do some damage, um, and that, that, there's a high probability that that could be possible. But that's not everybody's experience, so I don't know why I would bar my ten year old from if he wants to from doing that. Um, but there are a lot of parents who see it different, man, and it's a real it's a real thing. Like it is a real thing. At least at least where we at, <laughs> at least where we at, it is a real thing, and I'm seeing it more and more. And I think when when you don't play a sport. You don't have that passion for it. You don't have that enjoyment of it. You don't have that connection to it. And as less and less young people continue to play and as some of the older guys kind of uh, phase out, um, I think the NFL may be in a spot where it's number two within the next 10 to 15 years. Um, And on top of that, it's always getting bad press. I mean, just always. I mean, now there's a story out about them possibly trying to maybe have tried to railroad some research around traumatic brain injury as it relates to football. Yeah. Just things like that that continually happen that I think are, are yeah. kind of turning people off slowly, very slowly, but it is happening where people are they're taking their money and, and they're looking to go elsewhere as far as their entertainment value. Um, and there's also, I think, a segment of society just doesn't want to watch something that is kind of in their eyes a blood sport, um, where they know where they know human beings are really um, putting themselves um, 
in, in very, very, very bad situations um, in regards to their long-term health. So that that's from the ground. That's where I'm seeing that from the ground. Like, it's, it's, and I, I'm, I'm skeptical on whether or not it's really a, a, the brain injury is really a thing or is it a thing for people who play in the NFL. And it might be just a thing for people who play in the NFL, but that's, like, not – that's probably not going to be my kid. You know what I mean? But – there are other people who see it differently, and there are a lot of them, and there's a growing number. I mean, he, my son on his football team, um, they had a very good football team. They went undefeated in their little league last year, um, and about four of his teammates aren't coming back next year. And it's not because they didn't play. These are three of them are one of the best players. Parents are just worried about head injuries. Just straight up, just they're worried about head injuries. And it's like, wow, could be. And these kids are talented. These kids are really good football players. Um, and when your sport starts to lose those really talented athletes and those really talented athletes go elsewhere, it becomes less fun to watch because the really talented athletes are doing something else. Um, and that's why nobody really wants to watch soccer because then our, our our best athletes aren't playing soccer in the U.S. So, <clears throat> excuse me. This is the Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG, Renegade Radio. We're about to get ready to close out another great podcast. Uh, we've had a good time tonight. We will leave you with this last word from D. Wills. Uh, you got about 90 seconds, bro. Do your thing. Well, thank you, guys. Hey, this has been a great show. Uh, and, uh, Marcus, you've been, on, you've been on that music, man, doing what you, yeah. you do. You being 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 the elite star that I know you are, you're a five star. There's no argument about that. You top two. Um, you know, one of the things I opened the show with, uh, you know, talking about my my, my uncle, uh, calling big old Oscar, love to talk about sports, and just kind of reminded me of, you know, just kind of the the importance of sharing in the experience. You know, in a day of analytics where people are so conscious about data. We forget about the storylines and the relationships and all the things that are built around sport and um, you know and, and doing his home his home going kind of just reminded me of the importance of that and so you know I just want to say to you know all the folks out there who listen to us you know we're gonna have fun laugh we're gonna talk about analytics but at the end of the day we're gonna keep it real about the stories and about the energy so from the RSG baby. Can you dig it? That'll do it for this edition of Real Sports Guys, realsportsguys.com, RSG Renegade Radio, the People's Podcast. We'll catch you again in two weeks. See you then. Peace.